Good morning and welcome to another episode of the Manna Podcast, Daily Bread for the Daily Christian. My name is Sam Jeske. I serve as the pastor at Our Shepherd Lutheran Church in Crown Point, Indiana. And uh, thanks for tuning in today. I'm really glad that you're here. I hope and pray that you're having a great week. Um, you're having fun driving off to work. Uh, maybe you're listening to us in the car right now. Uh, maybe you're uh, sitting at home uh, getting some laundry done or doing the dishes. Where, wherever and however you're listening to this podcast, we're, we're really glad that you're joining us for this conversation. We're just glad you're here. Uh, joining me as usual is um, my fellow co-host and a brother in ministry, Pastor uh, Justin Shrum. And we're going to be continuing our conversation about Meta narratives. If you haven't listened to part one and part two, you should go do that right now. That would really, really be helpful. Otherwise, uh, hope you enjoy this episode. I'll let Justin take it away. So, well, if you know those those scratchings on the board that I were making were were specific things that you you had addressed, and there was um, when you mentioned that concept of parallel narratives, it reminded me of this um, early two thousand movie starring martial artist Jet Li. It was called The One. And basically yeah. the concept of that film was, is that um, Jet Li's character was named uh, Gabriel Yulong or something like that. But he's pursuing this, this criminal, this mastermind, this evil guy. And he eventually, as he's chasing him, finds out that he looks exactly like him. And as the movie goes on, what it basically deals with is that Jet Li um, is... Um, just one of himself among a parallel of planets and universes. And so whenever, and they knew that there were other parallel universes, right? That they would send them to um, various places as like a prison sentence or whatever. They didn't realize how advanced those places were, but, but they end up, he ends up going back to track this dude down. And what he finds is there are literally identical versions of himself in various various parallel universes on various parallel planets, parallel planets, and what they find is is that the mastermind is trying to eliminate eliminate um, every ca- carbon copy of himself in every one of the universes because he believes that by doing so, kind of kind of like that that Highlander sci-fi movie that was back in the day that there could be only one, and like when he when he <laughs> that oneness that he would inherit all things about himself because he takes that of the other other versions of himself in the parallel universe into himself, which makes him stronger, better, faster, smarter, all this other stuff. Right. So when you were talking about parallel universes, that's, that's what I was thinking of, but that concept that you're, you're getting at with that parallel uh, narrative, it kind of relates back to um, the idea of, you know, well, this is what I do on Sunday or, or, or whatnot. We have this, problem in in american christianity and and it's not just american christianity there's other places but it's uh, also has to do with christianity maybe universally um within the individual person not within the broad spectrum of the worldview of christianity but the one thing that that islam has right is that their belief system their worldview isn't just something they do on a particular day it's not it, it it filters throughout every aspect of their culture within politics within um economics within society within um worship whatever it is it's central to their entire identity of being and really when we when we talk about parallel narratives or we talk about like your friend brought up about how you know don't bring your faith to the poll to legislate faith right I, i've heard that assessment before too 
And really, um, like you pointed out so beautifully, um, there is no such thing, no matter, you know, that panel of biologists and the one token Christian guy that's there, there is no such thing as unbiased. The, those of you who are listening right now who, who maybe think, well, I just want an unbiased opinion. That does not exist. Right. Everyone has a bias. Um, if you're, if you're, um, if you're looking for a good book to read, Trey Doughty, who's a, who's a lawyer, um, he talks about it doesn't hurt to ask the question. It's all about co- communication and um, persuasion and really understanding the other person's point of view while you also understand yours and like how to ask right questions. And, but he basically gets to that concept as a, as a lawyer, as a prosecutor, that everyone has a bias, right? And when they're mm-hmm. going through jury picking, they have to, it's not that they eliminate the bias, but they're not looking for the polar extremes, for the jury they're looking at for the happy median and so we have to understand that no matter what realm it falls into that there's no such thing as being unbiased one um the second thing is is this that um we often like that concept of church and state that's in itself a meta narrative jesus's example of you know render to caesar what is caesar's and to god what is god's he's not saying he's not dividing up the person and identity and purpose of the Christian within the world, right? He's not saying leave your godness about your interaction with God and your identity with God, something that you do on Sunday morning or maybe in Bible class, and then everything else and how you function within the world for the rest of the time, right? We're, we're not schizophrenics. We don't have multiple personalities that involve our personhood and everything else, right? Those are different qualities. Like, you know, maybe I talk too much or maybe I have brown hair or whatever. Those are qualities that may make us who we are uniquely, um, but that doesn't divide our person. We still have an identity and a purpose. Those are just qualities that make up ourselves. And so we often approach our our faith life, our, our worldview, our Christianity that way too, that we separate that. Leave your Christianity at home. Don't bring it to the hospital if you're a doctor. Don't bring it to the classroom if you're a teacher. Don't bring it to the polls if you're a citizen and voting. Here's the thing, and I, and I just, I'm teaching on apologetics right now in my Sunday morning Bible study, and I, and I kind of just gave a, a caveat, uh, a, a plug for people that were getting ready to go vote. And I said, what you need to understand is one, you're not voting for a person. I don't care who the person is. You're voting for a political platform that has biases and objectives and and a purpose. And and it puts out information and policies and and you could believe that it's good or you could believe that it's bad. Regardless of that, you're you're not investing just in one person, you're investing in an entire platform, right? So we have to... Mm -hmm. And we also have to understand that when people say the argument being you cannot legislate morality, and and I think that's essentially what your friend was saying, don't bring your faith to the polls, don't try and legislate your personal belief system in the polls. And, And the fact is, is that that is also a lie, because everyone legislates their own worldview or their own moral compass every time they go to the polls. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. I when as you were kind of talking, the one of the um, uh, section that I was um, of uh, Jay Warner Wallace's. If if anyone's looking for a really good accessible book on um, Christian apologetics, I would say get Cold Case Christianity by Jay Warner Wallace. Oh yeah. So um, if, for those who don't know who Jay Warner Wallace is, the guy is a um, uh, a homicide detective. 
And he basically the criteria and the scrutiny that he would employ when doing homicide investigations and kind of evaluating the scene of a crime and piecing together what actually happened, he employs the same type of um, system and methodology towards the evaluation of the claims of the Gospels. Mm-hmm. And um, the thing that he said, the thing that, like, there's a there's a little section on there in the kind of the opening pages, and um, as you were talking, Justin, I was thinking of that, and he said, basically, I, um, the quote is, any of you or anyone who tells you that he or she is completely objective and devoid of presuppositions has another more important problem. That person is either astonishingly, astonishingly naive or a liar. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Basically. So, so basically he, he boils it down to like two kind of like he uses the illustration of say, like, you know, you have your, your, you enter a courtroom as a juror. um, And what they're trying to do is they're trying to establish a panel of jurors who, um, who, uh, who enter, who enter, excuse me, who enter, I'm getting my words confused, who, who enter the, the, um, the juror box with empty hands and are, um, uh, keeping an open mind. Um, so they're not to bring, um, they're not, they're not to bring say, uh, baggage or bias with them into the courtroom. They're to leave it outside. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing is, though, is that everybody is going to begin with what Jay Warner Wallace refers to as a collective of biases or biases. Yeah. So obviously, as a juror, um, we the objective is to strive to the best of your ability to um, to not appeal to these biases and to um, and to not let our biases um, eliminate or invalidate. Um, either forms of evidence or, as he says, that, that could possibly suggest a different conclusion other than the one I'm already thinking. Um, before we've even begun, in the case of a jury panel, um, the trial, or in the case of truth-seeking, and that's what we're getting at really with meta-narratives, is, is the, the bedrock of truth, right. um, narrative truth, um, the undergirding or overarching truth in our lives. Um, where, where does that come from? Um, if we go into that discussion with these presuppositions or what he refers to as this kind of baggage instead of, you know, empty handed or open minded, um, that's going to get in the way of the investigation. Um, he kind of used the illustration of, say, like, what would be presuppositions that a, that jurors would have? Um, the ones that he um, exa- uh, that he highlights are um, from his book. So page 28 in his uh, in the book, um, people with beady eyes are subs- are suspicious. People of my race would never commit crimes like this. Police officers are liars and are untrustworthy. So those would be dangerous presuppositions for jurors to bring with them into the courtroom. Those would be presuppositions that would inherently interfere with the investigation. They would funnel or direct um, your gate. But basically they impose themselves. That's bias. They impose themselves on the facts and make them say something um, other than maybe what they are, um, by their inherency, are saying. Um, now he said, well, what does that look like when it comes to discussing the truthfulness or lack thereof of meta narratives? So um, one of those presuppositions would be, nothing exists outside the natural realm, or outside the natural world, there's nothing. Mm-hmm. Or uh, if it can't be tested with my five senses, it can't possibly exist. 
or supernatural explanations must be eliminated. That's kind of a little bit more of what we were just getting at, this idea of you got to leave your faith at home. Those are all dangerous, dangerous presuppositions for people whose objective is to pursue the truth. I see this going on right now, and maybe you see this too, Justin. Um, when it comes to, <laughs> you know, um, Facebook, in, in, so, in so many respects, as much as I'm sick of it, and I don't, I probably should get rid of it, and I haven't got rid of it yet, um, because obviously, you know, I, that's how I stay connected with a lot of people. So its usefulness um, exceeds its mm, the well. I don't know. I'm not sure what adjective I would use to describe it. But um, one thing that Facebook illustrates is how um, how committed you know right now what's going on is they're 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 counting the legitimate votes um, towards candidate A or B, um, uh, who won the election. And right now what's going on is you see and hear a lot of rhetoric that is, that's more so um, stating we want our candidate to win than we want the truth to be done. Right. Yep. We, we want, like, we would rather, whether it be, and again, we don't, right now, we do not know the legitimacy I, well, I mean, I, I, some of my friends seem to know the legitimacy of whether or not there's tampering or um, uh, the elections being stolen or not. Um, and at this point, I don't know if there's enough evidence, if any, to make a strong assertion that that is or isn't true. Um, but I, I do suspect that there are a lot of people who would rather... Um, instead of seeing a fair, they might use the words, we'd like a fair election, but in actuality, what they really want is they want their preferred candidate to win. Right. You see this also where you got people who are like, I mean, you got, you got businesses that are boarding up their windows because they're, they're fair, they're fearful that rioting and looting is going to be the result pending on who wins the election. And, um, that's indicative of, of, of some of this too, where, the, the the real objection, or excuse me, the real objective for a lot of people is that they, they want the result to be that, that which they want. And I suppose that, that sounds somewhat like a tautology, but they the outcome that, they're, that they would champion is not that truth be done or that fairness be exacted, but that their candidate win. Right. Under the Trojan horse of, you know, phraseology such as fair election or counter revote or stop counting or whatever. Um, they they're willing to bend ethics or bend what is right and just or moral all for the sake of them getting their way. And you see this happening on a broader scale in our society where, where I, where the meta narrative that people are that subscribe to is no one can tell you what your meta narrative is, is except you where I can, by virtue of who I am, I can define everyone and everything outside of me, but no one or nothing outside of me can tell me who I am. Right. And that's, that's exceptionally, I mean, that's, not only is that riddled with incoherency, regardless of how appealing that might sound, um, but it, it does not even meet its own criteria. And this is where, you know, is does does truth and reality bend the knee to me, or am I to bend the knee to truth and reality? And this is this again. This underscores meta narratives because if these meta narratives inherently, they they exist outside of ourselves, 
we might build, you know, they may, they, they may, you know, again, one picture, they might extend above us or anchor beneath us the narrative bedrock that, you know, the, the narrative bedrock beneath our feet and the, the skyline over our heads. But, um, that's, that's the, these things inherently are to exist outside of us, that they're not anchored in me. Yeah. And as soon as I start saying, well, they're anchored in me, now you have these, now you inherently in, in interject competing meta narratives, And at that point, it's just mob rule. Right. And even, and even that, even that can't be the litmus test because, you know, on the one hand, mob rule said, you know, in, in some societies, uh, you know, um, justified, if not called for ethnic cleansing and genocide. Mm-hmm. Um, or a look in the Spartan culture with infanticide, if it was the child was less than perfect and was not going to survive being a warrior and that warrior process, they were chucked off a cliff. So, right. Right. So it, it's, you, you, um, clearly there's, this is a conversation that I think that we've, I think a lot of people in society have really lost the ability to have, if not the the concept of it has gone entirely. This shouldn't be something that is um, that is confined to the church congregation or a church service. This is not a conversation that should be confined to philosophy 101. <laughs> no. <laughs> because this is something that is so, this is something that is just so common and mundane, not in the sense of, of, of uh it's not important mundane but it's it, it this is part of our everyday life yeah it, this it's inescapable like 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 you said talking like these conversations of morality and 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 meaning and purpose and origin and destiny these are conversations or questions that are inescapable these are the i would contest the real existential challenges that are leveraged or i would say um presented to people and, you know, you know, your politicians might take the word existential and say that this is the greatest existential crisis of our time. And they're giving you 10 cents of a $10 problem. Right. Um, it's the, um, you know, the matter of death. Um, what, like, you know, um, the problem of death, that's, that's a real existential problem. Or um, what do I do with guilt, shame, and regret? Um what do I do with these gnawing, pressing, incessant questions of meaning, purpose, destiny, and origin? Um, how, you know, how do I navigate conversations of right and wrong, good and evil? Um, and on, on atheism, if there, is no, if there is no divine, personal, loving creator upon which to anchor, you know, goodness and what is moral and just, how, you know, then what meta narrative or what what um narrative foundation or bedrock can i stand upon that allows me to say these things without borrowing literary elements and i say that kind of in quotes from a christian meta narrative or we'll just say more generally a theistic meta narrative yeah. um i i it's i'm uh as one uh yeah I, I think i quoted this last time when you and i talked like when you know frank turek was was, was commenting on um having questions about, uh, you know, meta-narrative discussions about morality. Is it objective or subjective? And having discussions with people on the one hand who say, oh, there is no God, but on the second hand, if they, they also want to accuse or condemn the God of the Bible for all sorts of these terrible, evil things. And the first thing that um, Frank Turek will say, was, well, you got, 
if there is no God and there is no, you know, if there's object, if there's no God, there's no objective right and wrong, good or evil. Right. And if there's no objectively no right or wrong, good or evil, then there really is no objection to someone um, doing what you claim he did or not. Right. Um, you can you can tout all you want that this person did something evil or that the God of the the Old and New Testament is blah 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 blah. But on atheism, there really is there there's no foundation. There's no meta narrative bedrock upon which you can stand to then say this is or isn't evil. Right. Um, what he often said, it's sitting on God's lap to slap him on the face. Right. Um, I don't, I don't, yeah, yeah, that's, well, that's, that's, and that's such a, it's such a handy quote. And I don't think it originally comes from Frank Turek. I, um, I'm, um, I'm drawing a blank on who actually came up with that. I, I think, I think he was British, but, um, but, but it's a, it's a, it's a very simple punctuation of the reality where, you know, if, um, on the meta narrative of there is no God and there is no objective right and wrong, um, then I, I, I have no I, I have no foundation upon which to st- no solid stable um, foundation upon which to stand and say anything at any time was good or evil. Yeah. I just had all I can say is you know it's it's no different than me liking vanilla ice cream and you liking chocolate. Right. But but when it comes to questions of meaning and purpose and origin and destiny is. How do we really sit and sleep at night, or how do you know, like sit? How does that sit with us, or how do we sleep at night when that's when that's how we've really devolved the conversation, basically to no def, no difference than than taste preference, um, you choosing between vanilla and me chocolate. Um, is that really the conversation of of uh, reality, where you do you and I do me? That doesn't sit right with anybody. Right. It's it's not it's not established based off of reason or logic, which is more the modern modernistic approach. It's more uh, based off of relativism and emotion. Right. That that's the post existential is existentialism uh, point of view. 